Welcome to Side Effects, Effect versus Affect. It's hard to know the difference. At McGowan Brabender, our goal is to provoke you to think differently about employee benefits, your employees, and the status quo. That's why it's Side Effects with an A. Join me, Kenzie McEvely, my co-host, Anne-Marie Singleton, and our guests joining us from Tiffin University for a five-part podcast series about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let's get started. Today, we continue our education about diversity, equity, and inclusion with the Director for the Center of Intercultural Excellence, Julia Porter, and the Vice President of Human Resources in the Center for Intercultural Excellence, Nadia Lewis. And joining them is Tiffin University President, Dr. Lillian Schumacher. Dr. Schumacher was named President in 2016 after serving as Dean of the School of Business and Vice President for Academic Affairs. With over 20 years of serving as an organizational consultant in areas of leadership development, executive coaching, strategic planning, human resources, career coaching, and change management, Dr. Schumacher believes in an organizational culture that embraces mutual respect, accountability, intentional actions, diversity, inclusion, and clear decision-making aligned with organizational values. The Center of Intercultural Excellence is the brainchild of Dr. Schumacher, and we can't wait to learn more from her right now. Today, we'll dive into ways to make your employees passionate about cultural change. Let's begin. Good morning. Hello, everyone. We are here in episode four of our five-part series with the Tiffin University DEI team. Um, we have added an impressive guest to today's show. We have the president of Tiffin University, President Lillian Schumacher. Thank you, all three of you, for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's so great to have all of you, and it's um, nice to see you all again. So, President Schumacher, you're new to our series today. And um, Nadia and Julia shared in our first episode about how this vision came to life. So we would love if you could give our listeners some insight on how this center was an intentional priority when you became the president at Tiffin University in 2016. Sure, happy to. Good morning, everyone, or hello, everyone. Uh, our effort really started back in 2016 when I became president. and. Um, even at that time, we knew it was going to be a journey and a process that uh, would take, you know, several years and will continue on into the future. And so really the first few years of this effort was a focus on our own organization and the work that we needed to do internally. So not only in terms of, you know, educating and having the complex uh, uh, conversations and dialogues within our own organization, um, but also then figuring out how to go about doing this work with our students. And so the first, first several years of this effort, we called an initiative. Uh, we struggled for the first 18 months or so with what we were even gonna call it. Mm -hmm. um, we went from something called embracing diversity to what is today known as CCU at TU, celebrating cultural uniqueness. And I share that to say that when you do something like this, um, depending on where people are, they range in where they are in a continuum of understanding, comfort, willingness um, to really engage around DEI work. And so the long and the short of it is when we came up with this embracing diversity at Tiffin University tagline, we had the polo shirts made and everything, but <laughs> we quickly uh, we quickly realized that diversity 
believe it or not, had some negative connotations. And yeah. so, you know, there was this kind of idea that it was more about compliance and who isn't allowed at the table or who isn't um, allowed to to speak up or ask questions kind of thing. And so we didn't really realize it, but, but that ended up being um, a, a tagline that wasn't going to work for us. And so then we said, what will work for us? And we struggled with this. We wordsmithed. We came up with every single possible word around DEI, inclusion, belonging we possibly could. And we, we ended up settling on the word culture because we believe that organizations have cultures. You know, mm -hmm. individuals have a culture that they bring. Um, our own institution, Tiffin University, has its own culture. And so we, we decided on that word. And I will share with you that even that word or what ended up becoming our tagline, celebrating cultural uniqueness, uh, was met with some resistance internally because people saw the definition or the word culture yeah. and assumed international, okay? Mm. And at that point in time, we had uh, a significant student population that came from international, from countries around the world. and But we really didn't mean international or just international. We were talking about global and domestic diversity, global and domestic inclusion. Um, and it took us a long time, well over two years into this effort, to get people to understand what we meant by the word culture, so much so that we actually threw a definition up every single time we presented on it. Here's what culture is defined as for the purpose of this. And so I share all that with you to say, this work takes a lot of time, even around wordsmithing what you're calling it and being intentional about what you call it. So that led up to then a series of workshops that we created and certifications that we created for our own employees to go through even if you were a housekeeper and then all the way to me, um, everybody has to go through this year long certification that our team created, which we're very proud of. And then we also included students throughout the time where we would select students to come and be part of this. And then we started to really cement this into our organizational culture. So employees are evaluated around the work um, of CCU at TU, uh, we make sure that they really uh, use it in their daily behaviors, uh, which is hard to operationalize mm -hmm. when we did that. And in the education, the training continues. So we started with implicit bias. We ended up having uh, workshops and, and series for the entire institution. We created a certification that was a year long process. And once we get all of our employees through that, we're going to go on to kind of what the next stage of this effort is. So it's ongoing and continuous because you have to always put yourself out there. And then I know I'm speaking a lot, but then we- No, that's okay. This is good. This is good. Right. I'm, I'm in awe of the work so okay. far. Good. And then we ended up turning to the students to say, what did we want to do to really set ourselves apart as a university um, around this work and how could we be different? And, you know, I often share the story that it was the students that told me you know, I, I love having students at my house. And so we were sitting and having dinner one night and we were talking about this. And, um, you know, the, our, our nation continues to be very divided, right? But this was at a time where a lot of the, the division had started, you know, the George Floyd and all those different situations were, were happening in our world. And um, so the students said, Dr. Schumacher, you have to put it in the curriculum. You know, we mm -hmm. really get this, but truth be told, some of our faculty members aren't even as 
as you know kind of comfortable or or tolerant of this as we are and so i think if you really want to make a difference you put it in the curriculum and I mean, we never turned back from that. We got together um, as a faculty and staff, and we worked on a on a curriculum that was based on a, on a framework that we created. So we worked hard. We conducted focus groups. We did a lot of research on, you know, what should this look like if we're going to really put it in the curriculum? And what do we do in year one, two, three, and four? And what do we do with our PhD students and, and around this this topic? And eventually, our master students. And so. All this became really a focus for us and again continues. And so we've created a framework, we've created curriculum that we actually collect data, we learn, you know, we assess the learning outcomes of our students. And actually, pretty soon here, we will have a graduating class under this new curriculum where we really will be able to talk about the, the transformation our students have gone through as a result of this new focus on global and um, domestic diversity. This will be the first four years, the first graduating class that's been through all four years of the program. Yes. That's yes. exciting. Yep. What a journey. Yeah. Wow. It so has how, been. How, um, how do you begin to create this undergraduate curriculum? Do you get the teachers that are bought in and have them come in or was it Nadia and Julia and yourself or how do you, how do you create a successful one? The easiest way is to start with the, the faculty members that have bought in. And, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a university environment, you need the faculty, right? You need the faculty to, to rally around this and create the curriculum. And so we went to the, we went to the faculty that were either doing this in their own ways, in their individual courses that they taught. Um, and then we brought in some other individuals that we knew we needed to convince. And so, you know, and I always share this too, when you're going about this work, I am an idealist and I, I want 100% buy-in, but the reality is rarely do you ever get 100% buy-in. Mm -hmm. So even among right. our faculty today, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, um, not 100% of our faculty buy into this. It's been going on long enough that they can't avoid it. Right. Okay. <laughs> they, can, they can choose to be less engaged than some other faculty members are. But honestly, most of our faculty are very engaged in this process. And so, you know, universities take years to redesign a general education curriculum. We at TU have been very blessed that we are, you know, all of the academic majors that we have and the minors that we have focus on theory to practice and so almost every single student has to have to has to have an internship in order to graduate we do a lot of case study analysis hands-on learning and so for us to be able to transform our, our gen ed curriculum into more of an intentional core was probably less difficult than some institutions but it's scary because when you take away that philosophy class right or that one particular yeah. english class faculty members get territorial because oh my gosh does that mean I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be able to teach what I've been teaching for decades? So, right. so right. we really work together, but we put it together in 18 months. The faculty members put it together in 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yep. So, so yeah, it was good. So curious, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to make the assumption, but I love you to, to prove me right or wrong here. Whenever <laughs> you're trying to get folks behind an initiative, you've got those um, you said, you know, those people that were already engaged, those early adopters, the people who already believe it, they're the first ones on board. Um, my experience is that taking those actively engaged folks and then taking those actively disengaged folks, those that are fighting you against it, tend to be the, the two groups to start with first. Those that are in the middle who are really 
not engaged at all in any way seem to be the hardest to move. Um, did you find that with your efforts here, getting the employees to oh, buy in? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even today, we still have that, right? So we will intentionally bring in those naysayers. Um, and, you know, even in every year, so we, in our certification that I talked about, we, we put about 60 to 70 of our employees through that every year. And we've been through the fourth um, group and we'll be starting the fifth group this fall, which is really the last large group of our university that will go through it. And of course, these individuals are the ones, not all of them, some of them are newer employees, but many of the ones are remaining are the ones that have tried to avoid going through the certification, right? But, but in each cohort, yeah, they can't hide anymore. But in each cohort that we had, we intentionally went after a few of those individuals that we knew were the naysayers of this, or you know, what are you going to teach me about, about culture, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? I know I'm doing this in my classroom, but we really intentionally brought them in and we said, no, we really want you to go through the certification. You have a lot to, to add here. You know, we're asking you to do this. And, and it's, it's, it's a lot easier, frankly, if the leadership at the top is in support of this. And so the fact that that initially I was driving this and I continue to be behind it mm -hmm. says a lot. And that can, that can be the difference between an organizational culture shift and and something that just continues to be the flavor of the month for people and a and a and a check that a check on the box that they have to they they make, right? And yeah. so yes, the short answer to the question is absolutely yes. We pulled in the ones that were all about this and the ones that or like, no way, I don't get this, I don't care. Or you know what, it's, we don't have a problem. And we would it, we would make sure we had both. And you know, 80% of the time, those naysayers, naysayers have now become some of our huge advocates yep. of what, what we're doing, yeah. There's sometimes the easiest to convert, but you don't see it. You don't see it on the surface. So I just was curious, I appreciate your insight on that. Well, that's one way too to kind of weed out the people who don't want to get involved because they know that the president is leading this initiative, then they have to get on board or they're going to have to jump ship kind of. So, yes. so Julia, yes. I had a question for you. In our original planning call, um, we talked a lot about when you're hiring these people and the old school interviewing skills where it was more important to know, you know, shake their hand firmly, look eye contact, but now you have to look past these skills and you have to dig deeper to figure out the kind of people that you're hiring. Um, so what kind of skills are you looking for when you're trying to hire someone that's going to fit into this initiative and this curriculum? I think one of the things that's really important to look for in people is that they have a willingness to learn. Um, they, they want to learn new things and constantly try to grow, that they're willing to be authentic. That's really important. And we've talked about that several times in this podcast is yes. being comfortable with being yourself and being willing to ask questions when you don't know and get the information from people that you do know. So finding these people that um, have this openness to our environment, I think is really important. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I, I, we all have things we bring to the table. I'm trying to find the right words. <laughs> and, you know, I've been around a long time. So things that I have learned or I think are correct. And then I hear something you say, or I read something and a phrase we used in my, my, my prior life was, oh boy, well, they really assimilated well into the culture. And now I'm understanding, hey, we really love for someone to bring their unassimilated self into yes. 
a situation or an organization. And that seems like a small shift. It's monumental, right? Um, we used to look for someone who could assimilate into the, the team. Or, and now I'm thinking, wow, how um, incorrect was that, right? And yeah. how, how can we look at that differently? So uh, thanks for sharing that, Julia. Well, I think we don't know what we even need sometimes, right? If we, if we want to build um, a community where everybody can be themselves and can feel welcome and belonging, maybe somebody has something to offer that we haven't seen yet in our culture. And we wanna make sure that those people are welcome and can flourish as well. Yeah. Yeah, Julia and President Schumacher know already my pet peeve is, you know, especially when we're looking at new talent to bring in, it's not the question of, do they fit to our culture? But in what ways can their culture add to ours right. in ways that was missing before? And that really needs to be the conversation had as we look to bring on diverse talent into our organizations. Mm -hmm. It's nuanced, but so different. So yeah. here's the loaded question. I always like to ask the loaded questions. Like, how, how do you know it's working? <laughs> how do you know it's working? Like. How do you measure that? What are the KPIs attached to that? How do you know that you've, you're moving in the right direction when you bring new team members on and when you look at the team that you're building? So there's a couple of things. I mean, you can look at who, do you, who are you employing today versus who you employed yesterday. Um, that says a lot about how well your DI initiatives are moving that needle. Um, what employees are you retaining? That's another another one um, for you to look at is a good DEI um, strategy or, or data to kind of collect. Um, which employees are you developing? Hmm. I mean, so often when I talk to companies um, and, and as far as who is on that succession pathway or leadership plan, and it's never, it's always consistently people who kind of look the same or have the same backgrounds look to get a lot of different cultures and backgrounds and um, you know, genders and everything across that pool of, of developing those in your organization. And then um, what talent are you attracting? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're constantly attracting the same types of talent, then you're not casting that net wide enough or you're not doing things like we talked about in the earlier episodes as far as putting that diversity statement out there. Really. Mm -hmm putting your statement of intent around how meaningful it is to you as an organization to bring on diverse talent. And those are just a couple of things. Thank you. So Nadia, are you noticing, are people seeking out Tiffin because they see this, that it's mandated and it's passionate and it's in your diversity statement? Yes. I love it. I cheer in interviews uh, when I sit down with them and I say, you know, you know, when you're looking at jobs, what what really attracted you to us? Um, and of course, you know, there was the conversation of it fits my skills and talents or the direction I was looking in. And usually in that close second is um, and I'm really passionate or I felt very welcoming because um, of your statement on your your posting about um, welcoming of all cultures. And then I went to your website and I saw the center of excellence, um, intercultural excellence work and everything you're doing and your focus on that. Um, I've, I've loved hearing that. And usually around that time, 
then after they come on board, we do collect a statement from them of how they are going to be committed to our mission and vision through the work that we're doing with DEI. Yeah, that's a really um, powerful thing to do too, is getting them to to make a statement, put that down in writing and commit yeah. to that. So I really like that. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about um, leading up to this, and um, Dr. Schumacher, you mentioned it, is, you know, it started at the top. And um, I don't know, you didn't use this word, but I'll, I'll use this word. So it was sort of mandated, right? We're, we're, we are doing this and you, you people are going to get certified. We might take a year or two to let you get into the program, but we're doing this. So I do think, generally speaking, you can mandate diversity, um, but you have to cultivate the inclusion. And so you've talked about some of the things that you've done so far uh, to do that within your organization. So what are some small ideas and strategies for our listeners to begin to cultivate this inclusiveness and this belonging and, um, you know, give, give us a couple of, of ways that they can begin. I love the statement. That's, that's one thing they can do, right? Um, what else can they do? I'll, I'll start and obviously my colleagues can chime in. One of the things is stay the course. So when you, so it's really important when, when you decide to do this, um, you will, you will encounter obstacles and, um, you know, resistance and, and, and people that are very uncomfortable. And, and, there, and again, that continuum of where people are um, is really important to remember. And I think what's important is that when you decide to do this, you do it and you'll learn along the way, but don't turn back. You may pivot, you may, you know, you know, alter things a little, be flexible about your plan, but stay the course. I think that's really important. Um, and, and remember, if you can create an environment where everybody feels that they can actually be part of the conversation. And, you know, so, you know, our, our, our way of doing is a little unique in that we're not taking a stance to say, um, you know, a particular group is primary or important. We're saying that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are all important. So if we're really, really going to do this work, every single person needs to have a seat at the table. So if that individual is on the continuum on this side where they are tolerant of difference, we're still, maybe they don't appreciate or respect it. We're mm -hmm. still going to allow them to come to the table because so long as they have an openness to learn, then we want to make sure they're there. If that makes sense. It, and so it, it, it does. Starting with that, yeah. Starting I, with that is, is so critical in the work that we're doing. And I don't think that people, I'm projecting here, but in my conversations with folks, I don't think that they think everyone has, a, they, they think it's just for people who have the opinions about, um, you know, how to make this more inclusive or how to make everybody feel more um, involved or how to push the diversity and belonging efforts forward. There are people who are not prepared to do that and they're not excluded from the conversation is what you're saying. And I think exactly. that is also yeah. really impactful and a very different way to think about, uh, about these efforts. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Nadia or Julia, did you have anything to add to that? 
I think just to piggyback off of that, um, we've talked a lot about the naysayers today. And I think sometimes those people are, there's such a small percentage and the ones that weigh on us and they shouldn't. And so we haven't, we haven't let that discontinue our conversations. And one of the things that's been really impactful for us is creating small groups within our trainings. Um, everybody's mixed up within discipline. We have the very passionate people and the people that are maybe not too sure what to do and, and allowing them to work together and speak together and learn from each other, I think is really important. Um, and then they become almost like a little friend group, somebody that they can lean on for support as they go through this work, because we are all coming to this at a different level. And it's, it's difficult for some of us, even those of us that think we know a lot more, it's still difficult. So having a group of people that maybe aren't the same people you see every day is important to, to know that everybody's on board and that you can turn to and be authentic with moving forward. Um, and that can be difficult at the beginning as well when we assign seats or assign groups, but um, people really come around and um, we're really seeing that camaraderie now that wasn't happening necessarily before. Yeah. So by doing this work, is this how you, I know this is the phrase we wanted to hit on today. Is this how you learn about your organizational blind spots? Is that where the, the kind of issues or problems arise and you're able to point them out? Yes, absolutely. Your eyes You know, I, I want to encourage organizations as they either embark on this work or they go back to sit at the table and, and create a new strategy around what's important to them in the DEIB space is to understand why are you doing it, right? Can't be empty can't be, and we talk about this all the time, the three of us, can't be something you do to check the box. Mm -hmm. Understand your why. Why are you doing this? Is it because it, it, it matters to your internal teams for engagement, to creating a, a culture where people are happy and productive? Is it because it's important to your business partners? It, it expands the opportunity for your growth mm -hmm. because of the vendors and, and people you could partner with. Is it for you to have a better and more enhanced customer experience? Is it to be able to service a wider array of your customers and keep them happy? What is your why? Mm -hmm. Once you understand your why, you can then align the work you do for DEIB into your mission, into your vision, into your business strategy, and infuse it all through your organization. And then once you do that, it's it becomes your North Star, right? It will, it should guide everything you do as far as setting your business goals and operations mm -hmm. in all the right, right ways, all the meaningful ways. Um, and then from there, you can understand your blind spots. If you're not able to enhance your customer experience, create a more productive, happy workplace, that is what you look at. Why is it happening? How can the work you do and the focus you have where in DEI help you to attain and move that needle a little bit closer to where you want to be. That's, I think that's the best way. You can always do assessments, right? Organizational assessments. Mm -hmm. um, President Schumacher is well-versed well in that arena when she did her consultant work. Those help a lot to really be able to have a sharp focus on where to attack where and when and how to do it. Um, and then you have centers like us that can help you <laughs> to navigate right. those conversations. Um, and we say all the time, part of our um, 
you know, I think what's more meaningful with our training is that we really hone in on creating a strategic plan for you through the conversations you have through our training and then understanding the action plans to have behind it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, we just appreciate you sharing your insight on that. And it's important to understand that this is part of uh, your business or your organization, just like other things that you do. Um, it's not over here on the side. Um, it yeah. needs to be integrated into your business. There needs to be the why behind it. And we're big about the why. We love that Simon Sinek talk about the why. Um, if you haven't seen it, 20-minute podcast. Everyone should watch it. Um, it could apply to everything in your life. There's an ad for specifically, you. Specifically <laughs> uh, to what we're talking about here. And blind spots in and of themselves are just as they are defined. A blind spot. We don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. And so being curious about this, asking questions, listening, um, you know, mm-hmm. putting all of suspending your judgment for um, a, a period of time to hear what someone else has to say and being open, as you said, Dr. Schumacher, uh, to learn. And that is how blind spots are uncovered and discovered. And then, as you are all describing so eloquently here, taking those steps to begin and don't stop, right? Pivot if you need to, but don't stop, don't turn back. And so I think that. Um, Everyone listening probably knows how to do this in their personal life, in their uh, professional life, in their role and work that they do, either in their home or in their employer. And uh, it's no different here. It's the same concepts yeah. that, uh, that apply for, uh, you know, working towards and striving towards success in this um, really important space. So it's um, amazing to hear all of the stories and your story of success with your students. Um, your faculty, and now sharing this with um, our listeners today and soon to share with our uh, teams and listeners that come on site for the workshop, which we're so excited about, Um, and to have a a visionary leader at the top like Dr. Schumacher. Just thank you all so much for this wonderful discussion today. Thank you. As we wrap up, I did want to talk about one of my favorite stories that Nadia and Julia shared earlier about employee buy-in in general. Um, I believe you guys said you had a math teacher that wanted to include a diversity statement in her classroom. And that really just went to show, I was like, wow, it doesn't matter what subject you teach. Like it is important in every single classroom. And that that was one of my favorite stories. But do you have any other good examples of those from Tiffin? <laughs> I, right now we have a lot. We're, we're doing some um, voluntary uh, teaching of our faculty that they get to come in and work on creating an inclusive classroom with me, which is so exciting to see people jump on board um, to do that and to do work that's not even really being asked of them. They're going above and beyond and they're bringing up things to us that are are so exciting. So we just had a professor um, bring up in the last class about we're not talking enough about trauma and how that affects our students through diversity. And now we are going back and working with her and getting more information. So what's exciting is we are also open to learn that now people are comfortable coming to us with, yes, but we need to be doing this. And we are already, we're excited. We're, <laughs> we're bringing her on to help facilitate some training. So it's exciting to see people come up with creative ways to do the work that we're um, teaching them and bring it back to us on we need to do more and we're, we're excited to do more. Excellent. Well, President Schumacher, thank you so much for joining us as our special guest this episode. 
It has been my pleasure. And I, we really appreciate you partnering with us on this work and, and sharing our story. So thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. So Nadia, Julia, um, they will be joining us on our fifth and final podcast of this series. And we're going to be focusing on how to create a sustainable working cultural while being inclusive. So um, once again, if you want to contact me, um, any questions or comments, you can email me at Kenzie at healthierbirthdays.com or you can reach me at Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. Thank you all so much for joining us on Side Effects. We'll see you next time.